So like I've said, uh, we are beginning a new ser- sermon series this morning. Uh, and, our, and our passage today is basically an introduction to the rest of the book. So, so I, I don't need to introduce the, the sermon series too much other than to tell you that we're in the book of James. And you may, it'll probably be on the screen, I would guess, but you may want to have your, uh, your Bible open in front of you. Uh, For the sermon today, I'm going to have Mac come up uh, here as I speak. He's going to read our passage for us this morning, uh, and then we're going to walk our way through the passage, uh, and I'm going to make a few observations, uh, and then I'll have a couple thoughts at the end. So that's where we're heading. Mac, would you read for us from James 1, 1 through 18? trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be uh, mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are, are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has con- conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Thank you, Mac. Appreciate that. All right, so that's a lot. So let's, uh, let's, let's go back, and uh, re- really to the beginning, to verse 2, and we're just going to walk our way uh, through the text And I'm going to make just a few observations as we go. So uh, starting with verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Uh, All right, so we're two verses in, and I'm already calling BS. At first glance, at least. As I was reading this a couple of weeks ago, at first glance, it was honestly my first thought is no way. No way. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. No way. No, that, I, I'm, I'm not there. I, I'm not in that place. Joy in our trials and our sufferings. I, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I struggle with that huge uh, but maybe that's because I'm a quitter. Uh, maybe I'm not tough. I'm actually pretty sure I'm not. Uh, I, I don't often have the mental and physical fortitude 
to keep going, to push through the pain and the hardship. And and I'm serious about that. I I can be a bit of a quitter. I I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, there's these ways of thinking about fun, the fun that we have, or enjoyment in life, entertainment that we have in life. And there's two ways that people talk about it. They talk about type one fun or enjoyment, joy, uh, and type two enjoyment, fun, joy. The first kind, type one, is I'm just having a blast. It's easy and fun. We're watching a movie or, or we're doing something simple. We're having a good time. It costs nothing of us. Uh, it's just simple enjoyment. Uh, in, in the mountain bike world, it would, it would be you just get to ride the chairlift up to the top of Big Sky and then ride down without ever having to do a pedal stroke up the hill. Right? That's type one fun. It's all fun. It's no work. There's nothing hard about it. We probably all have lots of things in our lives that we do that are just fun. They cost us nothing. They expend no energy. It's just pure enjoyment. And then people talk about type two fun. And that's the kind of thing where like you run a marathon and it's fun, I guess. Or like you hike up a mountain and it's fun, right? For our, for our young adult folks who seem to have a lot of fun uh, all the time, uh, each and every weekend. But it's work, right? It's, uh, it, it, to use my example again, that would be you're, you're spending an hour climbing up Leverage to get like 10 minutes of fun downhill. Like you're earning the fun. It, it's work. It's hard. And yet there is some enjoyment in it, but I personally sometimes struggle to find that enjoyment. I am not a type 2 fun kind of guy. Give me all the type 1 fun that I can get. I'm not interested in the work. It's just sort of the way I'm built. But uh, my best friend David, he just ran a marathon about a month ago, and he tried to get me to do it, and I said, heck no, I'm not doing that with you. But he did it anyway. And so I texted David this week uh, and asked him sort of this loaded question like, Tell me about your marathon and how you were feeling and, and the whole process that you went through. And this is what David wrote back to me about his marathon. This is what he said. He said, I initially ran a marathon because I was getting fat and I needed to do something about it. I hated the training every single day. There was rarely a moment I was happy to be out running. But I felt better and I felt active and I felt like I was challenging myself doing something most people simply cannot do. On race day, I was excited and emotional because it's a lot of work to put into running a marathon. So I felt like uh, it was bringing to fruition all the work I'd done. Then I finished and it was bittersweet. I was ecstatic to have finished but disappointed in my time. All right, so he sounds pretty ambivalent uh, about the whole process, right? He's not quite sure about whether it was a good or a bad experience. But then he goes on to say, it was 100% worth it. It was something I intend to do again. Which I don't really get that out of what he said about how much he hated the entire process. And yet, he wants to do it again. I, I, I don't understand that. I honestly don't. And if that's not enough, he went on to say, I also saw a documentary where one of the people said something to the effect of, you'll never know your limit unless you do something that you cannot do. I think I want to know my limits. And I'm thinking, no thank you, I don't need to know my limits. 
and yet he's, he's pushing himself. David's tougher than me for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I struggle with my struggles. Uh, I don't easily find the joy there. This passage is hard for me because I don't want to persevere. I don't want to push through. I don't want to endure. And yet James reminds us of the truth that we all know is true. That even if we only know it in hindsight, uh, that there is something beautiful and sacred that emerges from our pain. I think we all know that to be true, even though we hate the process, even though it is so hard and we just don't want to have to do it. There is something beautiful and sacred that emerges from our pain. It does something meaningful and spiritual within us. Our pain shapes us. It does something to us. And James understands that, and he's reminding us of that. Uh, and he'll do that more as, the, ch- as the, uh, the book goes on. He'll talk about pain and suffering and perseverance and endurance uh, again at another point. Again, this is an introduction to the entire book that we're getting here in these 18 verses. So James goes on. Uh, verse 4, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So these trials produce perseverance, which produces maturity and completion. There's a process that's happening. Right? We endure, uh, or, or we, we suffer. We go through trials and temptations and pain, and it produces a sort of perseverance, a, a can-do in us, where as we continue to endure, we develop uh, perseverance as a characteristic of who we are, and, and that eventually turns into what James calls maturity or completion. Uh, we're being molded and shaped by all that life throws our way. Each new obstacle, each new pain, uh, each new moment of suffering is shaping us. It's changing us, and we probably all know this all too well. Unfortunately, we all know this that our pain shapes us. And it's turning us into something more grounded and mature and complete. As we endure and persevere through our trials and temptations, we're being turned into people who live such morally upstanding lives that we become congruent with a perfect God and known to the world for the good, beautiful, whole moral ways that we live. All right, that's a mouthful. Let me say that again. Uh, I'll say that again. As we endure and persevere through our trials, we are being turned into people who live such morally upstanding lives that we become congruent with a perfect God and known to the world for the good, beautiful, whole, moral ways that we live. All right? there's, there's a wholeness. There's a beauty that, to our lives that begins to emerge from us where as we interact with the world around us, they can see in us uh, that which we've struggled with, that w- which we've come to endure, and that which we've become, this whole, mature, complete kind of person. It emanates from us. They see it on us. And, and they probably know that something's different about that person. They carry themselves differently because we've been molded and shaped into a certain kind of people. There's a richness to the way that we live that becomes our calling card as people of Christian faith. 
there, there's something different about you. I, I need to know what it is. Because something's emanating from who you are uh, th that I'm curious about, that I wonder about, that there's something beautiful there. Uh, James goes on, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Deeply connected to the idea of maturity and completion is wisdom. There's some sort of connection here, uh, and, and God wants us to have wisdom, and he, and he supplies it freely. One commentator that I read, he said that wisdom is the supreme and divine quality of the soul whereby man knows and practices righteousness. Wisdom is embed, becomes embedded deep within us uh, and it allows us to live in a certain way. It allows us to live the way of God, to move toward maturity. Uh, I would say that wisdom is having the eyes to see and the feet to follow in the way of God that leads to maturity and fullness of life. Wisdom gives us what we need to be able to live the way of God. It allows us to do that, and God wants to provide us that wisdom if we will only ask. All right, uh, verses 6 through 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all that they do. All right, so we should ask for this wisdom. We should ask for it boldly. I'm not going to say anything more. I think that's another sermon for another time. Uh, and then I want to skip to verse 12. So we're going to skip a little paragraph there. Skip on to verse 12. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So when we've done all that God asks of us, when we've gone through the suffering. We've developed a sort of perseverance that has led us to maturity and completion. Uh, we will have received the crown of life that God has promised. Now when we hear crown of life, we ought to think the sort of wreath or crown that one would receive for winning a race in, a, in the ancient, ancient Greco-Roman world. Right? Think Olympics. Think Olympic wreath that would be placed on your head. That's what James is talking about here when he uses this word crown. That we're being crowned with this sort of wreath for having won the race. For having exceeded and done what we had been training to do. You beat the opposition and here's your crown. Which brings us back to the example of David's marathon. Right? He finished. He didn't quit. He kept going to the very end. He persevered through this race and, and he received a medal. In James here we receive a crown. And the crown, the prize, is life. We actually receive life. As we have moved through this process, gone through these stages of suffering and perseverance and maturity, we receive the crown and the very prize that we receive is the prize of life. In the end, we get life. How beautiful is that? We get beautiful, whole, full life. The kind of life that God has promised. I think that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about when he says that he has fought the good fight, he has finished the race, and he has kept the faith. 
right? He went through the stages. He moved through the process and got to a point in his life where he was full, mature, whole, complete, and he had received the prize. He got to the end, and he he realized that through all of that, he had received life, and the abundant, full kind of life that Jesus promises. He faced his trials and temptations, he persevered, and he was transformed into a person of maturity and completion. He attained the good, full life. Uh, And then to sort of finish the chapter, verse 13, or to finish the section. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it's almost like we have this choice to make. With what we'll do with our trials and our temptations. What will you do with your pain? What will you do with your suffering? Will you be overcome by it? Will will you succumb to it? Uh, Or will you embrace it, move through it, and and overcome your pain with the perseverance that leads to maturity? Uh, We have this choice to make. Will you overcome uh, your own pain and suffering and sin? Or will you succumb to it and be defeated to it? Which is the choice, which in this choice, uh, we see that it's sin that matures rather than us that matures. That's what James is saying here, is that when we choose to be overcome by our own sin, it's that sin is raised to maturity instead of us, which is supposed to happen in the process. Uh, And then the the last little paragraph. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So it's one final reminder that God has nothing to do with sin, since only good things can come from God. So there's this strong imperative here as we end to not be deceived, to choose wisely, choose the wise path, the path that leads to our maturity and not sin's maturity, to choose the hard path that is the good path, that leads to good life with a good God. All right, so now at this point, I want to back up a little bit. We skipped that section, right? We skipped verses 9 through 11, And we did that on purpose. To me, this little section here feels like a bit of an aside, like a parenthetical statement to the rest of the passage. It's not different in theme, but it's different in tone. There's something different about this little paragraph where if you took it out, the whole rest of this passage would just sort of read uh, as normal. Uh, But this little chunk feels like an aside, I see James's pastoral heart in this little section. I, I, I sort of picture James writing this thing, and at, at the end of verse 8, he sort of turns and speaks as a pastor. Instead of just a teacher, instead of just an apostle, I, I think he turns with a pastor's heart here, and he encourages them. He challenges them the way that a pastor would. 
He's not just teaching. He's not just preaching at this point. It's a little sidebar of warning and hope and encouragement. So that's what I want to do for you this morning. At this point, I want to, I want to turn to you not as a preacher or as a teacher, but as a pastor. Uh, and I want to offer us a little bit of warning, but mostly I want to offer us hope and encouragement. Uh, We've walked through some information. We've learned maybe a little more than we knew as we showed up this morning. But I want to be your pastor just for a few moments. So let's start first with, uh, with James 10 and 11 as you're following along here. So James says, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Ah. If things are going well for you, right? We're talking about pain and suffering and trials and temptations uh, this morning. If things are going well for you this morning, awesome. Awesome. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish anything different on you. Uh, embrace that. Live into that. Uh, but James is a helpful reminder this morning that riches and blessing and an easy life are temporary and fleeting. They'll pass away. Right? You make, some of us may be coming in here this morning, things are going pretty well. Can't complain. Not much suffering, not much pain, not much hardship in my life right now. That's great. Uh, but that will go away. Uh, we're promised that it will, and we all know that firsthand. Uh, we've seen it happen. Uh, our blessings will pass away like the wildflower. Here one moment and gone the next. So, don't, de- don't get too comfortable in your blessing. Enjoy it. Be grateful for it. Praise God for it. But don't assume it will last. And maybe even anticipate that it won't last. Don't start thinking that you've somehow earned God's blessing. Because God causes rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? He's impartial. He's not showing favoritism. So we haven't earned that. If things are going well and there's not much struggle, we haven't earned that. Embrace it. Praise God for that. But... But we're called to be humble here, to stay grounded, to remember that life is a gift, that blessings and comfort and riches can come and go in an instant, and to be humble. Let's be humble this morning. But mostly I want to speak uh, from, from verse 9 this morning. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. To those of you who are struggling this morning, To those who are experiencing pain and suffering. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe maybe it's just not going that well and you've been fighting more than you usually do. And Man, it just seems like it's it's work. It used to be so easy and now we're we're just, we're in this season where it's stinking tough. Maybe Maybe it's kids. Like, man, my kids are, it's so hard to be a parent right now. My kids are struggling, and I'm struggling with my kids. And it's just, man, it's not easy. Maybe it's work. Maybe the work you have is just really tough right now. Maybe there's no work right now. Maybe you're in that process uh, where, where jobs are going away, or you're sorting through a vocation, or you don't know what the heck to do, 
with work. Uh, there's a word for you this morning. Maybe it's school. School is so hard and I'm struggling and, and grades are tough and I'm not getting a fair crack at life. Maybe it's with friends. There's fighting and, and, uh, and we used to be closer and now we're not or I don't have any and I don't have the time to have any friends and there's loneliness and, and difficulty. Maybe it's money. There's too much and I don't know what to do with or most likely there's not enough and I'm really struggling with that. I'm barely making ends meet and money is so stressful. Maybe it's sickness, health, surgery, pain, whatever it might be. If you are struggling this morning, James has a few words for us. A few words of hope and encouragement. The first is that uh, we're not alone in that. This is part of the human condition. Right? To be human is to hurt, to struggle, to have pain, to, to suffer. We've all been there. We'll all be there again. Even Jesus and God through Jesus have been there. We, we read in Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Or, or on further in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Even Jesus himself has struggled, has gone through pain and temptation and trials. God sent his own son, the suffering that he must have endured. I want to encourage us this morning to lean on one another and to lean on God because we're not alone. We're not alone in our trials and temptations and suffering and pain and struggle. We've all been there. We'll all be there again. Let's lean on one another. Which is why, according to our mission statement, we want to know each other. It's why knowing each other is so important. Because we can lean on each other in the midst of our struggles. Uh, Second thing I want to share uh, is that there's a choice to make this morning, about how to deal with our pain and trials and suffering. I think there's a good choice and a bad choice. Uh, Our pain, our suffering can overwhelm us and crush our spirit. We can lose faith. We can quit life. We can give up hope. We can just exist. Or for some, we know all too often, they choose not to even do that, not to even exist anymore. Pain can overwhelm us. Sadness and suffering can get the best of us. Or we can allow our pain and suffering to do something powerful in us. We can open ourselves up to our pain, our suffering, uh, our trials and temptations. And we can allow it to be harnessed and useful. We can use our pain. It can mold us and shape us. We don't have to enjoy it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we're happy-go-lucky in the midst of it, but we allow it to overwhelm us uh, and and change us, mold us into something different. N.T. Wright says this, he says, you should let patience have its complete effect. Let it work right through your system. We persevere through our pain knowing that it works in and through each and every part of who we are. It works through our complete system and has its way with us in a good way. We can make the good choice to allow our pain to transform us into maturity. 
another commentator, Luke Timothy Johnson, says, Endurance is not the demonstration of an individual's moral character, but of a community's fidelity to God as its source of being and worth. This is why the command to pray is fundamental, for prayer itself is an opening to the understanding of reality as one drenched with grace given by God, the giver of every perfect gift. As we're called to pray for wisdom, it literally opens us up, figuratively opens us up, to God moving, being active within us, changing us, transforming us. We open ourselves up to this whole process where our pain can make something beautiful out of us. Our suffering can make something whole, something mature, something complete. Perseverance in suffering is our commitment to God, our willingness to trust him as the supplier of all grace, the giver of all good things. Our suffering can produce a certain character within us. It changes us. It makes us better. And Romans chapter 5 says this for us. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Uh, Suffering is the great craftsman. Suffering is the great craftsman. It takes us uh, as something broken, uh, as something, uh, anything but complete. And it molds us and it shapes us. And if we allow that process, uh, we, we will be all the better. Suffering and struggle can be the beginning of the journey and not the end. It can help us get where we're going, where we want to end up, at maturity and completion and the crown of life that God has promised. Uh, So if you're struggling right now, if life is just so hard, if you're just not sure you can make it, hold fast, keep trusting, don't give up. You're not alone. I'm here for you. We're all here for you. And most certainly God is here for you. And then trust God that he can use this struggle to mold and shape you. He's promised that he will. uh, That he will bend and twist and form you into something that more closely looks like Jesus. Hang on. Hang on. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are with us in the midst of our suffering and our trials and our temptations and our pain. They are not fun. They are not enjoyable. And yet we know that you will use them. And you, you will use them mightily to change and transform us into something beautiful and complete and whole. Something where we will experience the full, abundant life that you have promised. We open ourselves up to allowing our pain and suffering to change and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.